Let's pray together as we turn our attention to God's Word. Father, we live today in light of that glorious day, and we have your truth to, to lead us in the right path to that wonderful hope we have. Lord, will you speak to us now? Will you enable our minds and our hearts not merely to hear your words and, and understand them in our heads, but fully embrace them in our hearts to love your word, to love who you are, and to give you our whole selves. Help us do that, Lord, we pray that you would, in the power of your Spirit, be pleased to do that work in us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to follow up on our last message from the book of Titus. We had just begun chapter 3, and there we saw that those of us who have become believers in Jesus are to do good to really everyone around us in the world in order to influence the world for good, to influence the world for Jesus. So it tells us there that we're to be in submission to the governing authorities, to treat those in leadership with an attitude of, of really genuinely wanting to help them succeed as God defines success. And we're told there that we are to treat everybody with complete courtesy, not bad-mouthing them or slandering them or making fun of them, but to genuinely res treat them with respect. In other words, if we belong to Jesus, we're to do good to everybody whether or not they deserve it. And Jesus said this very thing. If you look with me at Luke chapter 6, beginning of verse 32, and these are stout words. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Whew. That's not hard to understand, is it? But wow, is that hard to do. I mean, we're talking here about doing good to people who do not deserve it. And that is just not natural, is it? It's not natural to, to uh, treat a leader, to do good to a leader, to help them succeed when they don't deserve our help. It is not natural to treat someone with respect who's acting like a jerk. It's not natural. How are we going to do that? We need God's 
help. We need God's help to do, to, to treat with goodness those who don't deserve it. And that's exactly what we get here as we move on in Titus chapter 3. We get the help we need. We are going to get truth that if we will believe it, if we will embrace it, if we will rely on it, it will enable us, it will empower us to do good to people who don't deserve it. Never underestimate the power of the truth to change you by God's Spirit. If you will embrace it, if you will stake your life on it, it will change your life. And that's what we got to look at. We've got to look at the truth that will enable us to do good to people who don't deserve it. But before we do that, I want you right now to think of people in your life that you really have trouble doing good to. You don't want to do good to them because if you're honest, you'll just say, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve me doing good to them. You know, maybe you have a boss who just does not deserve your best efforts to help them succeed, to help them look good. Maybe some of you wives have husbands who do not deserve your respect, your affection. Maybe some of you husbands have wives who just are unkind, inconsiderate to you. Maybe some of you young people have parents who are harsh and un uncaring, un unloving toward you. What, whatever it is, whatever it is, think of someone in your life, maybe more than one, that you really have a hard time wanting to do good, okay? And then with them in mind, knowing that Jesus expects you to do good to them. Now let's look at Titus 3, beginning at verse 3. So he's just said, do good to all people, whether they deserve it or not, for because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, referring to the coming of Christ, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of His Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is one of the most beautiful explanations of the gospel in all the Bible. This, the good news about Jesus. But why is it here? Why is it here? Think about it. This is not new truth. I mean, Titus, the man that Paul was writing this to, he already knew the gospel. He knew this. And the people that Titus is going to be teaching this truth to, they know the gospel too. They've, already, they, they've got it. And if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, well, then you've heard this too in some form or another because This is the good news that you believed when you put your trust in Christ. So why, is it, why do we need to be reminded of this? 
because we need to we need to understand we need to remember we need to rely on this truth in order to do good to those who don't deserve it because that's where Paul started treating people with goodness when they don't deserve it is not natural the gospel is not natural and we need to know and remember and understand and saturate ourselves in this unnatural gospel so that we can treat people not in a natural way, but in a gospel way. We've just got to be so saturated with the gospel that we think gospel thoughts and we feel gospel feelings and we treat people in a gospel way, not a natural way. The key is remembering, believing, living out the gospel. Okay, let me show you. Here's how to do good to the undeserving. Okay, remember those people you thought of don't deserve for you to do good to them. How to do good to them? First, we've got to remember how undeserving we were. How undeserving we were. That's the point of verse 3. Before we encountered Christ, before we experienced His forgiveness, before He began His transforming work of the Spirit in our lives, we were completely undeserving of anything good from God. We were helpless. We were hopeless in God's eyes. You know, it's not just that we did bad things. It's really that we were incapable of doing anything else. We just couldn't. Oh, yeah, we could do things that looked good to other people. We could do things that looked good to us. I know you know people who make no profession of faith in Christ, and you see them doing good things. We can all do that. Things that look good to others, things that look good to ourselves. But God always knows the truth. And God knows how self-centered, how self-serving, how prideful, how dishonoring to God our motives are when we do those supposedly good things apart from Him. God knows. Now, maybe, maybe if we had just been foolish and disobedient, you know, that's the first two words here that describe life B.C., before Christ, foolish and disobedient. Maybe if we'd just been foolish, we, we could have made ourselves better. You know, if you're foolish, well, maybe you can learn. Maybe you can understand. Maybe you can get wisdom. If you're disobedient, maybe you can learn how to be disobedient. But see, that's not all it says. It says we were also led astray. That means deceived. <laughs> and the thing about being deceived is when you're deceived, you don't know you are. You don't know it. You know, the natural human way to think apart from God's work in our life, the natural human way to think is, I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I'm not that bad. Certainly not as bad as some other people. My favorite. I've never killed anybody. <laughs> I'm not that bad. Uh, I certainly, <laughs> I certainly don't deserve the wrath of God. 
And the reason we think that way is because we're deceived. We just don't know the truth about us. We've believed something that is not true about God and about us, and we don't even know it. And then it says not only were we deceived, we were enslaved. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. And when you're enslaved, you're not free, and you can't make yourself free. That's what it means to be a slave. You might want to be free, but somebody or something has you in their power. So you see what we have here is a picture of helplessness. Before Christ came into our lives, we were unlovely. We were unrighteous. We were unacceptable to God, unacceptable to God, and completely unable to do anything about it. Do you feel that? Do you you have that sense that that's how it really is before Christ? We've got to remember this. We've got to remember how undeserving we were. Why? Because if we forget how undeserving we were of God doing good to us, we are going to have a very hard time caring about the undeserving people in our lives. Nothing quenches, nothing kills that impulse to do good to the undeserving, like thinking you're better than they are. You're superior. You weren't that bad. You weren't that lost. Jesus told a story to help free us from this illusion. It says in Luke 7, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And you have to understand, when that's talking like that, it means people just basically lay on the floor with propped up on cushions, their feet kind of kicked out behind them. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, probably one of the town prostitutes, when she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. I love this. Jesus answered him. Did you notice he hadn't said anything? He hadn't asked a question? He was just thinking something, and Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said, Do you see this woman? (laughs) Do you see this woman? Everybody's been looking at this woman. Simon is scandalized by this woman. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Now, you just need to know, that's a huge breach of protocol. That is just common courtesy hospitality in that culture. Somebody comes into your house, you give them water to wash their feet. He didn't. This was an insult. But she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Again, customary greeting. 
But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, her many sins. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Now, the irony of this is that Pharisee was just as much in need of God's forgiveness as that woman was. Here he is, hard-hearted, insulting the very Son of God. He needs just as much forgiveness, but he doesn't think he does. So his heart was cold, hard toward this undeserving woman because he thought he deserved better. If we're going to do good to the undeserving, we have got to remember how undeserving we were of God being good to us. How desperate we were, how helpless, how hopeless, apart from him doing good to us, okay? Another thing, to do good to the undeserving, remember what motivated God to save us. Remember what motivated God to save us. It says in verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Why did Jesus come into the world to save sinners? Like it says in 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why, why would He do that? Sinners, by definition, are undeserving of anything good from God. Why did Jesus die on the cross for us? Why did He willingly take God's wrath upon Himself? Let me say, well, because He loved us. Isn't that what it says in Romans 5.8? Sure, God shows His love toward us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Yes, he did it because he loved us. Okay, but now go deeper. Go deeper. What motivated that love? See, this is so hard for us to understand because we live in a world where love is a because of kind of love. We love because of something about that other person. We love them because... But God's love is very different. It's not a because of love at all, at least not because of anything good about us. In fact, the passage makes that very clear. It tells us specifically it was not because of anything about us that God acted in love toward us. It says not because of works done by us in righteousness. In other words, there was nothing good about us that motivated God to save us. I'm sure you've heard it. You know, it's, it's not about you. People say that at the most irritating moments. <laughs> hey, it's not all about you. Well, yes, it is, frankly. No, it's not. It's not about you. That's what this is saying. When it comes to God saving you, it's not about you. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, verse 5, according to his own mercy, being justified by his grace, you see it? His goodness, his loving kindness, his mercy, his grace, what motivated God to save us was the heart of God. 
And if we can get this into our heads and hang on to it, it will be the most liberating thought we've ever had. Because it can free us from focusing on ourselves and our merit or our lack of merit. And instead, focus only on the merit of Jesus because Jesus has enough merit for all of us and it's free for the taking, free for the asking. Listen, don't ever look for the reason why God would accept you in you. Don't ever look in you for the reason why God would accept you. The reason is never in you. It's in God, always. When you receive Christ who died for you, you receive all of his merit, and it's his merit alone that counts. It's so liberating. Okay, now, back to our topic How does remembering that, how does that help us do good to the undeserving? Well, listen, it's like this. If the gospel means, and it does, if the gospel means that God doing good to us does not depend on our goodness, but on his, that means for us to be gospel people who treat other people, undeserving people, in a gospel way, it means that our doing good to them can't depend on them and their goodness. We show them the gospel by treating them the way God treats us because of Jesus' goodness, not because of ours. Not based on who we are, based on who he is. Gospel, gospel thinking. Okay, remember how undeserving we were. Remember what motivated God to save us one more. Just remember how amazing it is. Just remember how amazing it is. Do you ever catch yourself taking for granted things that really should just amaze us? I do this. There are, there are amazing things around us every day and we just, we don't notice. We don't pay any attention. Or even worse, we get bored. Have you, have, you, have you looked at a rose lately? Have you watched a hummingbird hover? Have you listened to a baby giggle? There's just amazing things around us, but we miss it. We've got to remind ourselves to be amazed by what's amazing. I have to remember that. My life is full of amazing things. I've got a wife who still loves me after 30 years of marriage. That is amazing. That is amazing. But nothing else comes close to the amazing truth expressed here in verse 5. He saved us. He saved us. Not we. He saved us. He rescued us from that helpless, hopeless position we were in. By His coming, 
by his death, by his resurrection, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He provided the way out of our predicament. He provided the way out of our helpless condition, provided the way out from judgment, provided the way out of hell. He did it as a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. And then just to help us feel how amazing this is, Paul just unpacks it. He explains, he elaborates, he, he, he explains three amazing parts of this salvation. Parts, pieces, aspects, dimensions, whatever you want to say. Three things. First, he talks about the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is talking about the cleansing that God's Spirit does in us. When we put our trust in Christ, the Spirit comes in and, and cleanses us of every stain from every sin. You think about that. You think about those things that you remember doing that just make you shudder. Gone. Cleansed. Not only that, renewal, regeneration and renewal are talking about God infusing new life, spiritual life into us when we were spiritually dead. His life. So that now, now we are alive to God and the things of God where before we weren't. And now, you know, going back to how we were foolish and disobedient, now we don't have to be. Because now when we hear the truth, we can love it. And we can obey it and believe it. Stake our lives on it. We couldn't do that before. That is amazing. Then he talks about being justified by his grace. Justified is a legal term. It means being declared righteous in God's eyes. In God's eyes. God looks at us and says, righteous. Why? I mean, he acquits us of all crimes we're guilty of. Why does he do that? Because we weren't really guilty? Oh, no, yes, we were very guilty but because Christ took our guilt. God took our guilt, put it on Jesus. He took right, Jesus' righteousness and puts it on us. That's why we're declared righteous. And all of it is a gift. That's the grace part. Being justified by his grace. It's a free gift. Being right with God is a gift. That is amazing. And then he says we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Oh, man. When, when God saves you, he makes you his child. He makes you an heir of God. If you think you'd like to be the heir of Bill Gates or the heir of, I don't know, Apple, to be the heir of God, a child of God, that means you're going to inherit every good thing God has to give you. Eternal life is guaranteed. That's what it says specifically. And because of that, we have hope now. Not, I hope it happens. Hope here is assurance, confidence that it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And when, when it happens... It's going to be so much better 
than the best day you've ever had. You just think about the day you were the ever happiest in your life. I don't know whenever that was. That was nothing. Your best day is always ahead of you. Always ahead of you. Until Christ comes. And so, we relate to God now. Don't relate to Him like an employee. Do you live like God's employee? I hope I do good enough today. I, I hope I can earn God's approval. Don't live like an employee. Live like a child. Live like an heir. Because God gives you. He's promised to give you His approval. He's promised to give you everything good because of Christ, by His grace. That is amazing. Now, if you've got all of that, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you uh, have been washed with the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, if you've been justified by His grace, if you've become an heir according to the hope of eternal life, then be amazed at how good God has been to you. Be amazed. Yes, we're still waiting for complete fulfillment of all this. That's why it's called hope. It's not here yet fully. I mean, we've just begun. The fullness comes later. That's where it's still future. But the outcome is certain if you've put your hope in Christ. It's certain. And that is amazing. So let it amaze you. Remember how amazing it is. And see, that will help you do good to those people in your life that you don't want to do good to because now you realize you can't lose. You can't lose. There's no way. I mean, that's what we're afraid of, isn't it? Well, if I'm nice, if I, if I do good to that person, they're going to get the credit or they're going to just run over me or they're just going to whatever. They're not going to be grateful and everything. We're, we're going to lose out. No, we're not. We can't lose. We have no reason to hold back. We have no reason to be afraid we're going to get shortchanged because God has chosen to give us everything good in Christ. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. God being good to the undeserving. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Every day you get up, remember the gospel. Saturate yourself in the gospel. How undeserving you were. What motivated God to save us. How amazing it is. Remember, saturate yourself in the gospel. Think gospel thoughts. Feel gospel feelings. And then you'll be able to treat people in a gospel way. Even the people who don't deserve it. Let's pray together. Father, if I know anything from experience, it's that I'll probably be tested on this truth within the hour. Or for sure this week that there's going to be somebody that I'm not going to want to do good to because they don't deserve it and you don't want me to treat them the way they deserve to be treated you want me to treat them the way you treat me because of your gospel Lord help me become a gospel saturated man help everybody in this room become a gospel saturated person 
If there's anyone here today who has not yet received your gift of Jesus, may they do that today. Make us gospel people, Lord. Help us do good to the undeserving. In Jesus' name, amen.